Hi friends, this is W speaking to you from the future. I wanted to add a brief disclaimer to older episodes. So here is the disclaimer. My spirituality has matured and grown over the course of this podcast, and it will continue to grow and mature. Therefore, there may be some rituals, concepts, or topics that I discuss in these early episodes that I might not personally follow or endorse any longer. If you do want a glimpse at what I personally believe now and what I learned in this first year of podcasting, check out a series of episodes called Reflections that came out at the end of 2022. However, despite my uneasiness about some of my past content, I've decided to still keep all of my old episodes up, because while they may not mesh with my current point of view any longer, from an educational standpoint, I think these topics are still interesting, even if it's just for entertainment or for general knowledge. No matter if they mesh with my own POV now, these are concepts and things that exist. So... I still think from an entertainment and an educational standpoint, they're fun, interesting concepts, as long as we approach them with discernment. Regardless, I hope you do enjoy this episode, and I invite you to listen to my reflection series to see where this path ultimately led me. God bless you. Hey listeners, today's episode is another listener Q&A We go through a wide array of topics here. We talk about demons. We talk about specific saints. We talk about some really great questions about saint magic, kind of the ins and outs. We also end with a reveal of what to expect in January. And we also end with an exorcism to exercise those end of the year demons. This is a bit of a longer one. I try to keep my normal episodes under an hour around 45 minutes, but the questions for this were just so good. So I do recommend you try to listen to all of it, even breaking it up if you have to, but this was really good. I actually think we're probably going to take some of these questions and make full episodes out of them because it was a lot of fun. So thank you in advance for listening, and also thank you so much for sending in so many incredible questions. I appreciate all of you. Enjoy. Peace be with you and with your spirit. Welcome to another episode of St. Anthony's Tongue. I am your host, W. And today is another listener Q&A episode, which I'm very excited about. I am also mad at you guys because you gave me such good questions. I actually recorded this yesterday and it ended up being well over two hours long. So I am taking another shot at this and trying to make it a little more succinct for you guys so it can be less daunting of a listen, Uh, but I appreciate all of your incredible questions. Um, I appreciate you overall. Um, I've been looking back on the last two months. It feels like it has been a lot longer than two months, but in just 60 days, um, the listens that I've gotten, the response, the feedback, the follows, the community that is already forming around this podcast is really incredible, and I'm having so much fun, and I hope you're having fun with me. 
I'd also like to thank everyone who has been using the Buy Me a Coffee link, uh, which is buymeacoffee.com slash Anthony's Tongue to support the podcast. I feel weird kind of rattling the can for donations, but that does go to licensing music. It goes to my software fees. Uh, it also goes sometimes to books that I might have to buy for research. And overall, it just means a lot to me and keeps me going, knowing that you guys support this podcast so much that you are willing to share it, you are willing to give it good reviews, and also you're willing to put some hard-earned dollars behind it. And that really, really keeps me going and it keeps me motivated to continue delivering good content for you guys and delivering the topics and themes that you want to hear about and learn more about. There are also some other things I am planning for early 2022 that I want to chat about really quickly. The first is going to be a newsletter. I will call it the Church Bulletin or something else. And that's just going to be a monthly newsletter kind of recapping all the episodes as well as some additional bonus content. Um, the second piece that we will be debuting in early 2022 will be some form of a blog. I'm not sure what that's going to look like. I just know that some of these episodes, there are a lot of listeners who take notes and I'm hoping that creating a blog does mitigate some of that note taking. And I will be launching a Patreon in early 2022 as well. I'm working out the details. I'm actually taking some time off from work, which I am so excited about. Uh, in part of my time off, I'm gonna plan out what that Patreon looks like. But off the bat, what I'm envisioning is a lot, a lot, a lot of bonus content. If you guys have followed me on Instagram, um, you've noticed I've been going live a lot lately, just doing holy water blessings, doing novenas. Uh, I'll be doing all of that on Patreon. Secondly, I think the biggest benefit of a Patreon will be a very extensive access to show notes. That way you don't have to take any notes because you will have access to all the spells I talk about, all of the rituals, all of the prayers, and so forth. Patreon will also allow for things like um, some more intimate Q&As, probably some group uh, sessions, whether that's Novena sessions, uh, magic sessions, workshops, things like that. Uh, I also will eventually be doing some kind of spell kit uh, centering around episodes, and on a limited time basis, I will be offering tarot and other divination services, and Patreon subscribers will have first access or even only access to those things. So stay tuned, and I thank you for your support in advance. I appreciate all of you guys. So today, here's kind of the agenda. First, we are going to do our listener Q&A, and there are a lot of great questions to talk about. We're going to talk about demons. We're going to talk about warding. We're going to talk about some saint magic essentials. It's going to be fun. Um, then from there, I want to kind of do a reveal of what to expect in January, at least thus far. And then I want to conclude with an exorcism. If you are listening to this in December of 2021, you've probably had a rough year. I know I have. So let's exercise those demons of 2021 and make sure we don't keep them with us into the new year. It's going to be fun. So without further ado, let's jump into our listener Q&A. And a shout out to the following folks who have sent over questions on Instagram. Moth and Magic, The Legit Tracy Murphy, Emma Crossland, More Than Matter, Sherry Lynn M, Jessica Kate 329, Estrala C, Naivunaya, Ray Will One, 
and cryptids and critters. And the first question is, are there any saints you'd recommend for the fiber arts? So sewing, knitting, etc. The one that comes to mind is St. Catherine of Alexandria. She is a pretty well-known saint. She was a martyr. She has a story very similar to St. Lucy. She was in an arranged marriage to a pagan. She ran away. They caught her, sentenced her to torture on what is called, now called, St. Catherine's Wheel, which is a torture wheel, which I think is supposed to break your bones or something morbid like that. And the story goes that there's a few variations. Um, either as soon as she touched the wheel, the wheel, the wheel broke. Another was, was angels came down to save her. I believe there's a third where she commanded the volcano to erupt. So they untied her and she ran away. Um, so because of the fact that she was almost tortured on a wheel, um, that's a callback to um, a weaving wheel or an old school knitting wheel or a sewing wheel. So that's how she is the patron saint of sewing and knitting. Um, there's a lot of saints that have, you know, those kind of things. Like Lucy, they plucked her eyeballs out, so she's the patron saint of eye disease. Uh, so Catherine of Alexandria is probably your go-to. She's a very venerated and beloved saint. Um, they say to light a white candle on Fridays for a variety of things, just anything you want to use her for. And then on Saturday, you give her a white candle for scholastic endeavors. This next question, are there any saints who do not like working with one another? And are there any saints that do not like sharing an altar space together? I want to answer the second part of that question first. So are there any saints that should not share an altar together? I want to answer this question because it brings up a very common misconception, more so in ancestor veneration, ancestor worship. Uh, you hear a lot of people say things like, don't have an ancestor altar in your bedroom because you don't want your dead grandma to see what you're doing in there. And that's such a misconception because if you think about it, what is that saying? That's saying that your grandmother is trapped in your altar for all eternity? That's terrible. Um, that is not how this works. Spirits, saints, deities, they roam. Um, you invoke them through an image when you call upon them. It helps to invoke them. Uh, but the saint, the deity, um, is not stuck there forever. So you can have various saints on your altar altar, you can have various deities, even if they don't get along. I think the issue will come if you want to invoke them at the same time and their energies clash. Uh, you hear things like um, Saint Michael has such a powerful energy that he will push out other deities, angels, and saints. So he needs his own altar or his own like base, his own shelf to be higher than the others. You hear things like that. But when it comes to are there saints that just don't get along when invoking them at the same time? I'm really racking my brain to think of any. I am sure it exists, but unless you're being super random with who you're working with at the same time, you should be safe. Usually the thought process is you want to work with one saint, but if there is another saint that makes a lot of sense, you can throw them on the altar too. Obvious examples would be Joseph and Mary, um, Peter and any of the apostles, um, or St. Clair and St. Francis, because they both, um, Francis was her mentor. So you're, you're going to be good. 
Um, just be, do your research about who you're working with. And again, it's not, it's not if they're on the altar at the same time, it's if you're invoking them at the same time. And I'm really having trouble thinking of any that may feud. Um, and the ones I can think of, I think it would be very rare that you're invoking them together unless you're just being super random. Uh, there might be issues if one of them was a Benedictine monk and one of them was a Franciscan, or if there were two church fathers that butted heads. Uh, but even then, right, like Francis of the Franciscans and Benedict of the Benedictines, they admired one another, or at least Francis admired Benedict. Um, I don't think Benedict was alive when Francis was. Francis actually spent some time in Benedict's cave um, after his death. So I don't know. I don't know any that don't like one another. I think the the um, any issues, if they are there are any issues, would come if you're invoking them at the same time. But you'd have to be pretty random for that to happen. This next question is, where do you source your saint statues and are saint statues necessary for veneration? Where I, where I source mine uh, all over the place, what I recommend first, try to buy local, whether it's a botanica, whether it's a spiritual shop, whether that's a Christian or Catholic shop in your area. From there, check out Etsy. And then from there, Amazon, even Walmart has reseller um, programs where they sell saint statues now on their website. I have a mixture. I have had some that I've found in local shops. I've had some that I found on Etsy. Uh, two of my favorites, my St. Anthony and my St. Joseph, I found on Amazon because I liked them a lot. I needed them quickly and they were affordable. So it just depends, but I do recommend supporting your local stores and local um, craftsmen and women through Etsy. Are statues necessary for veneration? Absolutely not. No, they are not. Um, if they were, that would mean that I would need a lot, a lot of statues. Uh, most people are going to either use prayer cards or they're going to print out an image of that particular saint, especially when you're doing a novena. Certain novena candles are going to be very difficult to find. Um, I work a lot with Benedict and Peter. Very rarely could I find a candle to Benedict and Peter. So what I do is I just use prayer cards. I have statues only if they are part of my devotional practice rather than necessarily my magical practice. So if this is a saint that I want to talk to or keep around when I'm saying my prayers, when I'm doing a rosary, um, I'll have those statues. So I have Joseph, I have a few of Mary, and I have Anthony. Um, but if I'm doing a magical working, a prayer card is totally fine. Um, I would consider Benedict and Peter, two of my uh, patrons, but I don't have statues for them. I just use prayer cards. So go with prayer cards. Uh, there are a lot of practitioners who don't use statues at all for the same reasons. They're expensive and nobody likes the idea of buying a statue and collecting dust. Um, prayer cards are also easier to store. And there are really modern, cool, and creative interpretations of prayer cards now. A lot of people are used to the same images that have been used for centuries on their prayer cards, but you can find some really unique and good designs out there that speak to you more. This next question is a good one. How do you know when it's time to stop working with a saint or when it's time to change them up? So I have two categories of saints in my life. One are purely devotional, personal. These are saints I like keeping around because they 
speak to me on a spiritual level. They represent something in my life. They represent something in my career. They represent something I am working towards. So they are always on my altar. Um, I may say a litany to them. I may say a prayer to them, but I'm not always asking them for something. I might, but it's not a work. Like I'm not doing um, any spells around it. I'm not doing any kind of blessed candles or dress candles. They're just at the end of my prayer and I'm talking to them. So there's that category. And then there's the category of saints where I might just work with this guy for nine days, for a month, whatever, for a certain thing. I might be looking for a job. I might be going through a situation where I need to improve my finances. Um, I might need some healing, something like that. So there's really two categories. And of course, there will sometimes be overlap. But I did want to make a distinction that saint work can be just something ongoing that can just be part of your personal practice. You might want to do a rosary and then pray to a certain saint. That's totally normal. And in that case, it might just be part of your nightly ritual. But if you are doing something like you're looking for a job, you need healing, something along those lines, you're going to want to put the timeline up front. You're going to, you're going to want to figure that out. That's why I do like novena work because it's nine days or until the candle burns out. So you always know. Um, so let's say I am entering the new year and I want a new job. So I'm going to work with St. Joseph because he is the patron saint of all vocations, all workers. So I'm going to work with him. I'm going to get his novena candle. I might dress it and bless it. And I will do a nine-day novena to him. And then at the end of the nine days, you're done. So... I really like always picking out a time frame. And nine days and novenas are great. I have done certain chaplets for 30, 60 days. Um, there are some other rituals and type of workings that are longer, shorter than um, the nine days, some three, etc. But I do like a nine day novena because I have a timeline. But I also like it because when you're done, you're done. And I think that is very important. You have to know when to stop um, for a few reasons. One, it it's very therapeutic because you're done. You're done obsessing over it. You've done all you could do. So I'm assuming you've done everything you could in the physical realm already, right? We're talking, you've using the job example, I'm assuming you've updated your resume, you've applied to jobs, um, you've written all your cover letters, etc. You've done everything you can in the physical realm, and now you did a nine-day novena, so you could work with, um, so you worked with Joseph, and now you have done the spiritual work as well. So you've covered all your bases, and now you can just let go, and I hate to say it, and let God. Um, <laughs> but it's very important because I think uh, we have a tendency to obsess and continue and always want to do more, 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 more. Uh, but if you are having something like a novena, you have a timeline to just stop. And I think that answers the second part of the question too. When do you know uh, to change them up? Again, I personally have my saints that I work with all the time just from a spiritual and personal development standpoint. And then I have others that I might just work when I need something in particular. Um, and there will be overlap. Um, I, I, I do litanies to Joseph all the time but I might also call upon Joseph for something in particular in my career that I need help with. Uh, Peter though, Peter is someone that I work with when I need a door opened because he has the keys. So when do you know when to stop? At the end of whatever the timing is. I like novenas because there's nine days. And when, you, when should you switch your saints up? Again, um, I think you should have some that you 
just incorporate into your devotional life where you're not asking for things. But, you know, you might not need to switch them up. If you've done all you can on a spiritual realm, then you might be done. Um, it's totally fine to ask later for the same thing or maybe finding a new saint. It might be okay. Uh, but really just trust your gut and go with your instinct. But I always, always recommend having some kind of timeline before you start any kind of work. Next question is a simple one. Are there any upcoming episodes and saints that are only venerated in orthodoxy? Yes. I don't know when, but we will be doing an episode on Saint Seraphim and an episode on Saint Joseph the Hesychist. And I will be doing an episode on the Desert Fathers. They are not just venerated in orthodoxy, but I would say they're probably more well-known in orthodoxy. Next question is what are some unique home blessing and protection rituals you can do. Um, I think a cool one that a lot of people don't talk about is utilizing blessed wine. Typically you, this will be after, this date will be after this already goes live, but typically on the 29th of December, uh, a lot of churches do blessed wine on the anniversary of St. John, um, the evangelist. And um, I think it's really a really sweet ritual to um, then share that wine with loved ones in your new home or to use it in cooking or to use it in a simmer pot. Actually, if you, if you want to venerate Mary Magdalene, you could also dip um, a bundle of rosemary in the, uh, in the blessed wine and put it under your bed to divine in dreams. Uh, but I think blessed wine is fun. And if you cannot get a priest to do it, there is a very simple wine blessing on the internet you can find. If you care about Catholic canon and such, which I know many of us don't, um, the prayer you find is probably fine for anyone to say. You do have dominion to bless anything that you own, and if you bought the wine, you own it. Also, you can bless things as long as you are um, asking God to do it for you, and that prayer does that. So, uh, blessed wine. Of course, there's other ways to bless things. You can do um, a psalm over it, over it, Psalm 23, Psalm 91. Um, but yeah, I think blessed wine's a really cool thing that people don't talk about. You know, you have a new home, um, or it's just the new year, and you want to bless the home. You can enjoy the blessed wine in your house. Another one that I think it's not that unique, but I, I think it's more fun because there's a level of creativity to it is making your own ward. Uh, really, the only the only thing you absolutely need is, is red string or red thread. From there, you can just have fun. There might be a certain saint medal, a certain protective saint medal or a patron saint medal. Um, there could be something from your culture, like, um, you know, any kind of Malocchio type charms. Uh, railroad spikes, horseshoes, things like that. So I think making your own charm or ward rather is really fun to do. Also, we are around the Feast of the Epiphany, which is January 3rd. There is a tra traditional house blessing that goes on then. Um, what you do is you can get blessed chalk. All of this is in the Three Magi episode. You can get blessed chalk from your church and you write CMB, um, which is Latin for Christ bless this place or Christ blesses the world. Um, also CMB are the initials of the three magi. So um, you can place that on your home. You do not necessarily need the blessed chalk for that. You can use oil, you can use holy water and just write CMB over the doorways in your house. Traditional things you can do will be burying four Benedict medals or um, Michael the Archangel medals in the four corners of your yard. All right. 
I've been looking forward to this question. Oof. Do, do you feel like we've been taught wrong about demons like they're not really villains? There's a lot to unpack here. This could be its own episode, but let's do it. Do I think all demons are harmful? No. But if you lay down with enough dogs, don't be surprised if you catch fleas. And if you lay down with enough demons, don't be surprised if you start suffering from demonic vexation, demonic obsession, or demonic possession. I'm going to give you an analogy, and there's probably better analogies out there, but this is a personal analogy, so it makes sense to me, and I hope it vibes with you. When I was seven or eight years old, my family had this bronco, this lifted bronco. And um, because I'm a southern boy and we would take it down to the river and we would go mudding. Uh, so we had this lifted bronco. Remember, I was, I was playing underneath it and I realized I could almost stand up under this lifted bronco because it was so high. So I remember asking my parents, hey, if a car runs you over, but you are in the middle of our, all four wheels, will you get hurt? And my parents looked at each other for a split second and then they replied, yes, absolutely, you will definitely get hurt and die. Never ever be under a car, ever. Um, and of course they said that because they're not gonna tell their eight-year-old son who is bad that, yeah, you know, if, if the car is lifted high enough and you're really flat to the ground and you're at the right angle and you're not wearing loose clothing so the car doesn't drag you to your death, you, you might be okay. They're not gonna say that. They're just gonna say, no, never be under a car, ever. It's never a good idea. And I feel like that is how the church approaches magic. For instance, let's talk about Ouija and divination. Um, the church isn't going to say, well, yeah, you can use a Ouija board or tarot um, or scrying as long as you're asking the Holy Spirit to help you. They're not gonna say that, even though there's a lot of evidence that says that's probably okay if you want to really get into it. They're not going to say that because you could still mess up, summon the demonic, and be kind of crossed up. Because that's what's ha that, that's the issue when it comes to Ouija is people say things like, are there any spirits here that will help me? Can any spirits come forward? And when you say any spirits and you're not clear, that's when you start to have episodes with the demonic or have episodes with negative entities. So I think the church was kind of well-intentioned when it comes to saying all magic is evil. I think they were well-intentioned, but they've gone off the rails overboard. They've gone crazy with it. Harry Potter, yoga, essential oils, it's nuts. But I get what they were doing. They're not gonna say, yeah, it depends. They're gonna say, no, just never be underneath the car, ever. And that's just to keep us safe but they've gone crazy with it. And also by not talking about these things, they create more mystique and they also create ignorance and they also create even more of a chance for someone to get involved in something they do not need to be involved in. So do I believe that there are neutral and even helpful demons? Yes. But my question is always, why would you want to work with a demon when there are much more safe and effective options. All right, so, but first, before we get into all of that, let's get into a very, very high level. So if any of you people 
or demon workers out there, this is very high level, overview of demonolatry. Most of the time, you will see someone summoning demons and working with demons in Solomonic and Grimwarric magic. Um, and the story and the lore around that is King Solomon was able to summon demons and make that those demons do his bidding. Um, you also see that with Pope Honoris is the lore that he was able to summon demons and get them to do things for him. And there's also some medieval monks and things like that. But if you research the full story, it's a little more nuanced than that. They aren't just summoning demons to help to have the demons help them out. They summon the demons, defeat the demons, kick their ass into submission, and then force them into working alongside them. So that's a little different than summoning a demon to worship and to establish a good relationship with. These stories were, I'm summoning a demon to defeat it and then make it do what I want. Really different nuances there. And if you do go and research the Solomonic side of things, and again, I'm not a Solomonic magic practitioner, I'm not a Grimoric magic practitioner, so my knowledge is limited. It's just from my own research and conversations I've had with these practitioners, but Solomonic practitioners will tell you to err on the side of caution if you're going down the left-hand path, which is a path that works with demons. There's still a lot of protective work. There's still a lot of precautions you need to take. Um, and you will find a lot of stories about people trying to work with a demonic and then getting crossed up very badly. Personally, I also have had friends that have had experiences with the demonic outside of magic. So I also feel like this is something to take seriously. So kind of what is a demon? you're gonna get different answers. So there's a few camps. One camp is demons are fallen angels and they're just misunderstood. They're really here to help you. And that's for two reasons. One, Yahweh was just a dick and he was jealous of the angels and it kicked them out. And now they are here and they're helpful. The other is that there are no fallen angels. That was a smear campaign by the Catholic church and that these, what we call demons, are more chaotic than angels, but they aren't negative entities. They're not evil entities. And then there's kind of this camp or this belief that what the church are calling falling angels are really old gods, and the Catholic Church just did not want those gods venerated anymore, so they called them fallen angels. Um, I do think the concept of fallen angels or demons being old gods is very interesting. Um, and that goes back to this idea of the divine council. And the divine council is in scripture and it's in literature. Um, it's found in a lot of older Jewish texts and it's also found in um, the book of Enoch, which is not in the Hebrew Bible, but it is in the Coptic Bible. And essentially the divine council is you have Yahweh, who is at the head of the table, and his divine council is full of helpers, which later became messengers, which now we call angels. And that gets kind of difficult because even though we categorize them as angels within the category of angels exists, the category called angels. Um, but basically you had deities under Yahweh. It's just Yahweh was at the top. Um, so I don't think, so sometimes when I'll see somebody venerating a pagan uh, god or goddess, I think that that is very probable and practical to believe that maybe that god or goddess is 
a deity and it is just a deity and a member of God's council. Um, there are actual modern stories of modern neo-pagans worshipping Odin or worshipping Poseidon or worshipping Hecate, and then all of a sudden they are told by their deity, now it's time for you to worship my god who is Yahweh. So I do think the concept of old gods in polytheism within folk magic and Catholicism is interesting. I also think it's valid. Um, but there are some people that will say that some of these um, entities are old gods, but we are calling them demons, whether that is just for out of ignorance or whether that was a purposeful scare tactic. But nonetheless, um, there still are is the belief that there are evil demons, whether whether we're dealing with, you know, the good old gods versus demons and we're mistakenly lumping them all into one category. Um, but in any of those scenarios, there are still evil demons. Even the, the scenario where these fallen angels are misunderstood, it is still believed by a lot of demono demonological practitioners that some of these demons can be harmful. So that goes back to the question, are all demons bad or all demons villains. Again, I think there is a possibility that there are demons that could probably help you. But I go back to my philosophy of just don't be underneath the car. I kind of agree with the church on that. I, um, I always am curious as to why you want to work with a demon. Um, when I ask people that, usually, honestly, 90% of the time, it's sorry, they just kind of want to be edgy and they want to work with a demon because the demon is the opposite of Christianity. It's, it's the opposite of Catholicism and that is the religion that burned them. That is the religion that they hold contempt for in their heart. And whether they realize it or not, their attraction towards a demon is often their own way of rebelling against a system that they feel has done them wrong or they feel has done many people wrong. And they're right. But oftentimes it's driven by a need to feel edgy, different, and a need to rebel against a structure. And I can relate to that and I can agree with that, but it doesn't make sense to me. You're just doing it to be cool. Then the second type of person that usually wants to work with demons is honestly out of curiosity. They have never been taught about the demonic. and. That is a big problem with the church. I, I, I think the church is really messed up in saying that all magic is bad. All, you know, don't even talk or look at demons um, because that makes people more curious. Uh, when in reality, I think these things should be taught. And that actually is a discussion going on within the church right now. Um, I don't really follow or keep up with the church that much, but I do know that there are a lot of exorcists that are complaining that new priests are not taught enough about the demonic. And as a result, people are not taught enough about the demonic. Also, personally, um, not saying I subscribe to this theory of atonement, but my favorite theory of atonement, and that is why Christ came down uh, to die, uh, has to do with the demonic. And it has to do with this concept that there was the fallen angels and um, they were stealing souls before they could get to heaven so they couldn't be with God or they were working with people in a way that people wouldn't want to be with God in the afterlife. And Christ dying meant he would go to hell and destroy hell, which was a victory because it means there's no hell in the afterlife. However, it also meant that since there was no hell, the devil and his demons were forced to roam the earth 
Um, not saying I subscribe to it, but I am saying from a plotline perspective, it does make a lot of sense. Also, this um, idea and concept that there is there isn't just demonic possession. That's the one we always think about. There is demonic obsession, demonic vexation, um, and that's kind of the thought that the demonic can pollute your mind and energy in various ways. And we also, from a Catholic perspective, a Roman Catholic perspective, we think of sin as this doing good versus doing bad, when the Eastern Orthodox and Eastern Catholics would kind of say sin is more an illness as to where we, it's harder for us to commune with God. And some of that can have to do with the demonic. So I do think there is a big issue that we don't talk about the demonic enough because it it, spur, it's, it spurns this curiosity that can be negative um, when the curiosity is good natured. So if you're just curious because you've never really learned about demons, that's one thing. But if you do just want to work with demons because you want to be edgy, I get it. But there's a lot safer ways to work with the divine and to petition people. Uh, kind of the third camp of people that want to work with demons, when I ask them, is because they want to do a hex or a curse, and they feel like Mary, the saints, or Christ, or the Holy Spirit, or what have you, cannot assist them because they consider what they're doing is baneful. So from there I ask, well, what is it that you want to do that you are considering baneful? In nine times out of ten, their answer is something along the lines of, someone has abused me, someone is abusing me, someone is out to get me, and I want protection. None of that is a hex. Even if someone did you wrong and you want them to see the error of their ways and you want retribution, that's not a hex either. That's justice magic. So, you know, I would see a hex as uh, someone broke up with, you know, your niece's boyfriend dumped her and you want him to get in a car wreck. Like, that would be a hex. And it's very rare to find someone that really does think that way. Um, it happens, and I've talked to those people, but most of the time, when I ask someone what the hexing they want to do, it's not a hex. It's not even baneful. And things like retribution, justice magic, things like protection, um, the saints and Mary do an incredible job with that. I have... I hate to admit it, I hate to say it, I wish it weren't so, but some of my best work has been around justice and retribution type work. I don't like that I've been in that situation, but it is what it is. I wish my prosperity and financial success works would be more just as effective, uh, but I've been in situations where I've been purposefully um, kind of led astray by a landlord one time. Uh, I kept asking to renew the lease, let's renew the lease, uh, let's renew the lease. And I kept having my calls dodged only for them to tell me that um, since I didn't re renew the lease, now they're selling the condo uh, and I have 30 days to move. So I had to do some work around that. That was really successful. I've had um, people coming at me from a professional standpoint where they wanted to ultimately take over my department, did some work there plenty 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 other of examples and stories where i have used mary and the saints and the results have been intense and extreme and not so nice for the person on the other end so if you are thinking you need to work with a demonic for anything that's baneful no you don't um the saints can be really intense in that sort of thing so are all demons bad probably not but i don't recommend you go down that path I just I don't I don't see the benefits of it when you can get a lot of the same things 
from the saints and Mary. And if you have so much religious trauma that you are not willing to call upon the saints, saints and Mary, one, um, I get it, but Mary and the saints, most of the saints, haven't been the ones that have been creating this doctrine that you disagree with. They're not the ones that have been doing and creating the church that you disagree with. Accept Mary, accept the saints, fuck the church um, and the institution of it. So demons are a fun topic. There's a lot, a lot, a lot to unpack there, but they aren't something to play with. Also, my favorite word, my favorite name for Satan is the father of lies. In what better way for him to deceive you than for him to make you believe that demons are your friends. Just think about it. This next question is about St. Brigid. And the question is simple. What's up with Brigid? I love that. <laughs> is she a saint, a goddess, or both? So if you're unfamiliar with St. Brigid, uh, Brigid is the name of a Celtic goddess. Um, and she is also a saint. They have the same name, they have the same feast day, they have very similar stories. Pretty much they're the same person. So what kind of happened there? There are a few theories. The main theory is simply that over time, um, the story of Brigid, the goddess, was intertwined with some historical person. Um, you saw that in the St. Nicholas episode where there was the god Poseidon, and over time, when Christianity came around, they just combined Nicholas and Poseidon. So who was the historical person? Um, it's believed that there was a Brigid who either was a, um, a devotee of Brigid, but her name was Brigid, but she was a devotee of Brigid, and then later she converted to Christianity. Um, however, there's another theory that um, there was a... Uh, a high priestess at the temple of Brigid who was said to be an avatar of Brigid. So she was an incarnation of Brigid and later she converted to Christianity and, in, and converted her temple into Christianity as well. Um, or it could be a little bit of both, but most likely it had to do with what we've seen a lot. And that is a culture reveres a pagan god or goddess. And over time, Christianity either combines it with a person or in this case, it's also very plausible that the community just said, okay, she's St. Bridget now, just to appease everyone. Usually, usually that doesn't happen. Usually the people kind of submit to the institutional church's will, but this actually could have been a way for uh, kind of an exception where the people said, nope, this is, this is ours. And there's like, okay, well, let's make the goddess a saint. Um, as far as how to venerate her, I think um, whatever speaks to you the most, if you want to see her as a goddess, see her as a goddess. If you want to see her as a saint, see her as a saint. But like I said, her feast day offerings and story are very much similar, whether it's a saint or a goddess. This next question is kind of personal, but let's jump into it. How did you go from practicing Catholicism to practicing Hinduism back to Catholicism? Um, first, let's define the word practicing. Yes, I was confirmed, baptized in the Catholic Church, went to Catholic schools for 18 years, but I never connected with it per se. I always knew something was off for me. Um, I really was always attracted to the mystical elements of the church, stigmatas, 
saints with swords, the bloody Jesus, miracles. However, when you want to learn about that, it's very much, yeah, don't worry about that. Let's talk about some mundane shit. Like, let's talk about if girls should be altar servers. You know, there's not, um, there wasn't a lot of taste for talking about mysticism, but I always wanted to connect with that. I really loved the Pentecost. I loved how Christ's followers could feel the Holy Spirit flames appearing over their head. I wanted to feel that too. I wanted to feel God, but it was never in the cards. It was never discussed. So from there, I did start getting into more Eastern philosophies. I did always uh, kind of accept that Christ was a true being, a powerful being, um, but back then and, and still now, honestly, I, I, I still have a very universalist view that he is not the only way. So I went down various paths in my life spiritually. Um, I did go down a Hindu path for many, many, many years. And it, a lot of that stemmed around Hinduism's approach to communing with God. Uh, in the West, when we think of the word yoga, we think about stretching and being bindi. But in the East, yoga means to yoke with the divine, commune with God. And the yogic path is for ways to connect with God. And you can combine them, but one is through scripture and study. Studying the Upanishads, studying all of these Gitas, studying all the scripture. Number two is service, feeding people, helping people. Third would be devotion, which that can be a, a puja, which is a kind of a, a devotional ceremony at home. Uh, it could be chanting what have you, and then meditation, which is meditation. Um, and all of those ways are valid ways to commune with God. You can combine them, or you can just do one of them. Your whole spiritual practice can be feeding people in the name of God. Done. Yeah, you go to your temple, and your temple priest may have their own unique views on social issues and things like that, but if you disagree with them, it's cool. We're not here to debate dogma. You're just gonna go and feed people in the name of God again. And that's it, and that's totally valid. No one has any issues with that. No one's calling you a heretic. The term heretic is so Western, um, but that's it. And I just love that. Or your whole practice could be chanting a name of God. If you look, if you're familiar with Ram Das, um, Krishna Das, all of those guys, their guru was Neem Karoli Baba. His whole practice was chanting the name of Ram over and over and over again, and also feeding and helping people. And that's it. Uh, Westerners would actually go to him and he would say, don't come, come here and sit with me, Christ is your guru. Uh, but they wanted to be with him. And, and, but again, it was just chanting the name of God. So I really love this simplistic approach to how to commune with God. But in the West, when you talk about Abrahamic religions, especially Christianity, you don't have that. You have one path to the divine, and that is the study of scripture and the study of dogma, and everything else is kind of secondary. It's nice to have, but no, first you have to totally 100% agree with this dogma, and I can never vibe with that. I actually do enjoy the Eastern Orthodox and Eastern Catholic teachings where there are some things that there are no, there's no agreed upon doctrine, like heaven and hell, there's no agreed upon doctrine. They will recommend some some quotes and scriptures you can read from certain, certain saints. Um, but anyway, 
I always wanted, I always liked that there was this way of communing with God and various elements to it. Um, and I and I dislike that there's not that in the church today. And honestly, that is one thing I'm trying to, I hate to say teach, but I'm gonna say teach, teach about, is that you can have a personal relationship with the saints, with Mary, with Jesus, without the church. It's about personal communion with God. Um, so I, I liked that about Hinduism. So um, I had a, at one point in my life, I did go to a temple. I did go to services. I got involved in the local community and was welcomed with open arms. Um, and I had a personal practice to Lord Ganesha. And by the way, Hinduism, people think it's polytheistic, but it's not. You have one god, Brahman, and then all of these other gods, and I'm saying that in air quotes, are just kind of different versions, aspects of the one God. So God in the form of creation is Brahma. God in the form of sustaining is Vishnu. God in the form of destruction is Shiva. God in the form of removing obstacles is Ganesh. And I would have my practice where I would chant to Ganesh. And as I moved and got away from a temple, um, I would still just chant to Ganesh. I would say my, my mantra, Om Gam Ganapati Namaha, 108 times, a few times a day. And I would do feast day, pujas, and things like that. So practicing Catholicism, eh, kinda. Uh, practicing Hinduism, eh, kinda. Kind of devolved into me just doing a certain meditation uh, with a statue. But that was my practice for many, many years, and I was happy with it. And I dug it, and I enjoyed it. And never would I thought that I would be working with saints and Catholic figures again, nor would I think that I would have this pretty Catholic-themed podcast. Um, but here's what happened. I went through a really rough patch in my life, for lack of a better term. But it was like, for each bad thing, pretty much a miraculous solution would arise. Um, had problems with, I, I was forced to shut my company down. And then as soon as that happened, I got a freelance offer that pretty much paid the bills and it was so hands-off, it allowed me to kind of heal because I had been a workaholic for 10 years and I was not good to my body or my mind. So I had a really easy project that allowed me to kind of take it easy for five, six months, heal, didn't have to work, you know, around the clock. And I really got to focus on what's, what's next for me because it was, a, it was a temporary contract. And then as soon as that contract ran out, I got a really great job offer. Wasn't even really looking, uh, but it was a job offer that allowed me to live comfortably and allowed health benefits that I needed at the time and also allowed me for work from home so my lifestyle didn't need to change. And then around that time as well, um, landlord decided she wanted to sell the condo without letting me know. And um, like a week or two later, I found a home that was bigger than the condo for the same amount of rent. And then other little things happened like, you know, um, money was tight and I needed help with moving expenses. And my company was like, oh, well, hey, we give people a thousand dollar stipend for home office supplies. You can just put that to your moving expenses. Um, and other things happened around that time that were 
a little more major that I won't get into now. Uh, but bad things happened and then good things happened. And I remember I was finally settled in my new house and um, I just felt thankful. I just felt thankful for all of the good things that were happening and just the timing was crazy. You know, like things like, okay, you know, yeah, I, I lose a big client, had to shut down my business and then a week later, I get a contract that sustained me for the amount of time I needed to heal my body and mind. And then I get a new job, like right around the time that I find out that my lease isn't being renewed, like the timing was crazy. And I was finally settled and I was happy. My job was going well, my new job, I liked the people I work with. And I just, I was just thankful. And I realized, I, I, I remember I was making coffee or something in my kitchen and I realized, what do I do now? that I'm happy. <laughs> I don't like the word praise, but I wanted to praise. I wanted to be thankful. I wanted to tell whatever being was pulling the strings, thank you, and didn't know how to do that. It sounds cheesy. The word praise even sounds cheesy to me. I didn't know how to do it. Um, so I, I did get my, my mala beads and sat down in front of my Ganesh statue, which I hadn't done in months. And, um, you know, I, I, did my, I did my usual kind of puja thing in my, my mantra meditation, but it just didn't feel right. I wanted to do something more and I didn't really know what to do. Um, and then around that time, I started having very, very vivid dreams with um, my ancestors. And by ancestors, I mean like my grandparents that have passed away. And the dreams were so vivid. I remember I saw my grandmother and she was holding a rosary. My grandmother was very, very religious, but I don't think I've ever seen her um, doing a rosary or owning a rosary. And then I remember another one, it was so surreal. Pretty much I was at a family reunion and um, I turn around and I'm in my church, my childhood church. And by the way, this family reunion was just with dead relatives, which was crazy. And, um, but I'm in my childhood church, which, which was destroyed in 2005 in a hurricane. And even before that, I hadn't been there in many years. And I could, I could see things that I'd forgotten about. I forgot that there was a St. Paul statue in the left-hand corner that was carrying a big sword. And this one was different because it was spray painted or not spray painted, but it was painted completely silver when all the other ones were, um, you know, painted to look like people. I forgot that on the right-hand side was where they kept the Eucharist and they had the, um, the Eucharistic display and I, I forgot that there were red ruby type gems in it. I forgot about the room on the far side where you could go for confession. Um, I forgot about the fact that the altar was red in carpet while the rest of the carpet was white. Um, and wood. I've, I've just, I saw things that I'd forgotten about. So it was just crazy. And it was crazy that I was in my church. So I'm like, okay. So I woke up and I remember, um, I spoke that dream. I spoke to a lot of my, my deceased relatives. So I woke up that dream like that night, I woke up that morning from that dream, just like shaking. And, uh, I was cooking breakfast and, um, I was watching a YouTube video, something random, like SNL or something. And for some reason, the next video 
I have no idea why. Most of the stuff I've been looking at on YouTube was like jujitsu related and like stand-up comedy. No idea why this was the next episode, but it was an episode about it was it was it it was a clip from a TV show talking about ancestor veneration. Don't know why, but I'm, I have my headphones in. I'm cooking. I'm making like scrambled eggs or something. And this woman is talking about ancestor veneration. No idea why. Don't know why this was in my... I hadn't been searching anything about ancestors. I don't know why this was my recommended video next in the queue. But the woman says in this, in this TV show, in this episode about ancestor veneration, I don't even know what the show was. She says the following. She says, you never know what ancestors and what spirits are walking with you. And I just drop my spatula and I like prop myself up on my counter. And I was like, okay, I get it. I asked how I need to be thankful. I've had pretty much miraculous timing surrounding everything that has been going bad. I have dreams where I'm talking about my relatives in a church. I hear you, you guys are walking with me, okay. So from there, I built, I guess you would kind of call it an ancestor altar. And um, I had images of my, my grandparents, great-grandparents that, that have passed away. And I was actually treating it more like a, a spiritual journey type altar. I had kind of pieces from all sorts of spirituality that spoke to me. But in one corner, I had I bought a, uh, a novena candle of Our Lady of Guadalupe. I bought a pack of saint cards and I bought a rosary. And I remember I wanted to just sit down in front of that altar one morning. And to me, I, I, I always have to do some kind of meditation to really center myself before silent meditation. So I have to do like chanting. So I went to go grab my Ganesh mala beads and I hear a voice plain as day saying, nope, grab the rosary. And to me, that was coming from Ganesh. It wasn't coming from like Jesus saying, don't worship Ganesha, nothing like that. Um, actually, it, it, the feeling was the feeling I've, I've gotten when working with Ganesh in the past. So I say, okay. So, I, and I don't, I don't always get signs like this. That is very rare for me. But heard it clear as day. Nope, grab the rosary. So I said, okay. So I did it. And then kind of hear another voice saying, all right, pray the rosary. And I hadn't prayed the rosary since I was probably in like third grade. So I had to look up how to do it again. And um, yeah, I prayed the rosary. And eventually that kind of took me, you know, going kind of making that ancestor altar space led me to go look at all of the Italian folk magic stuff my family had been doing. And I knew it was kind of superstition-y type stuff. I always just called it that. I always just thought it was like a cultural thing. Never really lumped it into the folk magic category, even though that is true, that's what it was. Uh, but I realized that I have been doing folk magic or I've seen my grandparents doing it as a child. And then a lot of kind of overall magical stuff I had been doing with the Hindu deities I've worked with. So I start re researching folk magic, Italian folk magic, and then I learn about novenas. So something was going on in my life where I wanted, I needed to do something about it. I decided 
Let's do a novena. Usually I would have, you know, kind of written the note to Ganesh and put it under a candle. Novenas are very similar. I already bought a few novena candles, so I figured let's give it a shot. And I did my first novena, and I also learned um, kind of about dressing a candle, things like that around that time. So it was more of a folk magic-y novena than a traditional one. And I had a lot of really, really intense experiences all nine days of that novena, and it kind of just stuck. And then I really went down this path of researching the traditions that I, I saw my grandparents, my great-grandparents do, things like evil eye protection, things like the evil eye cure, things like um, certain saints for certain things, um, certain cures, certain remedies using herbs. So really explored my own culture there while also um, reading and researching other type of folk magic while starting to really broaden my horizons with the Saints Mary and things like that. And this has been a really great journey for me. Uh, spiritually, it's really helped me to reconnect with my ancestors because they all were Catholic pretty much. Um, again, I still don't say that I'm a a Catholic practitioner, a Christian practitioner. I still say that I am someone that uses the saints, Christ and Mary in my spirituality, but I'm kind of fooling myself at this point. Uh, but that's kind of what I say. And I think that's important though. I, I think that um, healing any religious trauma can be done by forming personal relationships with Mary, Jesus and the saints. And also, I feel like there is this energy that comes from you saying a prayer or venerating a saint that your mother, grandmother, father, grandfather, and so on and so forth all have done. So the Hail Mary might seem like a very repetitive prayer, but if you envision the fact that all these people in your bloodline have said it over time. If people around the world are saying it, I do feel like there is a certain energy about it, a certain magical energy about it. Just like I feel like I have charged my Ganesh mantra because I've been saying it for 10 years, I also feel like there is a, a really good charge in a rosary, a really good charge with um, your basic Catholic prayers as well. So that's it in a nutshell. Really went from kind of um, researching inadvertently Catholicism all my life, being confirmed Catholic, but being forced into that line of thinking to eventually reconnecting with it through ancestor veneration and honestly just through success with working with Saints Mary and Jesus. Um, and when I say success, I do mean in a material realm aspect of getting the things I want but honestly, spiritually as well. I have had my heart opened to many things. I've been dealing with things a lot better when I have also included more devotional aspects to these deities and my work. All right, enough about me. <laughs> Let's talk about you um, and your questions. So the next question is any tips on saints to use or using saints in necromancy? I would have to know more about the type of necromancy you're looking to do, so on and so forth. However, I do have some recommendations. First, I would recommend you work with St. Peter. St. Peter is said to hold the keys 
to heaven and hell. So what he can do is he can ensure that the right spirits are coming through the gate to talk to you and the wrong spirits are being held out. So he's a great to use. Also, St. Lucy will shine a light on um, anyone you are looking to speak with in the afterlife. And um, there are probably a few more, but uh, those two would be my go-tos as far as how to work with them or how to use them within necromancy. There are probably a few ways. I mean, you can just invoke them while doing any kind of divination. Um, it said both of those, so both um, Peter and Lucy just dedicating a candle to them is enough. Um, how I like doing things like this is through scrying, I would take a bowl of water, put holy water in there and any herb or anything that also might help you connect with this person, whether it's having something next to the bowl, like an altar situation or any kind of herb that might um, help you connect with that person. That sounds a little weird, but maybe that person was a protective person. So you might want to put a protective herb in there a flower that they liked, a flower that reminds you of them, something like that. And then within that bowl of water, I would put tea lights, so tea light candles. And then I would use scrying. I would just stare into the water, asking questions, asking to connect with this person and seeing what comes up, but also ensuring that I do have Peter for protection and maybe Lucy, um, since she is a patron patroness of um, psychic abilities. And of course, saint work in and of itself is necromancy because we are asking deceased saints for their intercession. So um, a lot of fun things you can do, a lot of interesting ways. I'm sure you could also dive into necromancy, but I would also, I guess my main advice would be to use St. Peter for protection, no matter the divination style you do, whether it's pendulum, whether that's tarot, whether that's Ouija. The next question is about St. Cyprian. And the question is along the lines of, do I feel like St. Cyprian is really as dangerous and angry as people make him out to be? Or is that overblown? I asked for some more context with this listener and they said they've heard that Cyprian is very angry and he will boil devotees alive if they disrespect him. Also, he should never be venerated without Justina on his altar and my answer is i have never heard this i'm not saying it's it's not true i'm just saying the two or three um main sources i use for these episodes all of them have info on cyprian and none of them describe him as a hot saint i've talked about the concept of hot and cool saints on the folk magic essentials episode i don't really subscribe to it but what I'm hearing here is he should be a hotter saint, which is an angrier saint. It's not really what I've gotten. So for everyone that does not know who Cyprian is, Cyprian was a former sorcerer, a really powerful one. However, um, there was a woman named Justina, Saint Justina, who converted him to Catholicism. Um, however, it is said that he used to have a demon, an army of demons at his disposal he is also said that he had a grimoire um, that was before he converted that a lot of sorcerers and practitioners still use. So there's a lot of lore around him. I actually have never heard that he is a hot, angry saint though. In fact, I've heard that since he 
used to have control over all of these armies of demons that he knows how to prevent demons from messing with you. So he's actually really helpful and compassionate for those that um, have any kind of demonic or negative energy thrown their way. Though there are also theories that I guess he went back to being a sorcerer after his death. Though regardless, um, none of the stories I've heard represent him in an angry or evil way. Um, now, the whole idea of pairing saints with others on the altar, I have heard that, just not with Cyprian. Um, Santa Muerte, it is said that on her altar, it is said that since she does have such a powerful, uh, potent energy, it is recommended to place more docile saints on the altar with her, like St. Francis or St. Anthony uh, or St. Joseph. And that will kind of balance out her intense energy. I have also heard um, St. Michael. I'm re-recording this episode for the third time, so I'm not sure if I mentioned this earlier uh, when someone asked about altar spaces, but St. Michael, I think I did. St. Michael is said to um, not like, uh, his energy will push out other saints just because it's so strong. So I've heard this um, concept of calling upon a more chill saint with a hotter saint to balance them out. But I haven't heard this with Cyprian. Um, I do think that this is this seems a little gatekeepy to me. Um, a lot of occultists that are not folk practitioners work with Cyprian, um, especially if they have access to his grimoire, which I don't think has been translated into English. Um, I can see them being like, "Oh yeah, don't work with him. He's he'll boil you alive. He'll cause house fires." I could see it kind of being a gatekeepy thing because they want him to be there spooky occult patron saint and the whole concept of hot and cold saints is interesting to me like i said i do go into it in the folk magic essentials podcast episode it's interesting to me though i'm not sure if i completely buy into it just because there's discrepancies for instance saint peter some people say he is a hot saint he'll burn your house down if you don't pay up on his on your offerings but then other people say the exact opposite and it's like the same community they'll say no he's a cold saint you have to hit his picture with a broom before he'll work with you or there are villages in Italy where to make sure that um, if there's ever a drought they'll submerge his statue upside down in the ocean until it rains so I have trouble with hot saints versus cold saints because it, it seems like it's such a cultural difference and you have conflicting views also I think that we all experience saints and entities and spirits differently depending on where we are in our practice in our lives so i have not heard that about cyprian so i think um you should still work with him regardless i have worked with hotter saints saint anthony of the desert is a very angry saint he was a hermit he didn't really like people he fought he fought demons all day um, but he is also really good to work with. So don't be afraid by some of the stories. Most of the time they are upset. They say that the saints will um, be vengeful if you do not pay them what you owe them or promise them. But guys, the best way around that is just buy your offering before you do the work. That way you always have it. And don't make it something crazy. Don't say you're gonna get a full chest tattoo of Santa Muerte. 
Say you're gonna bake her a cake, and then bake the cake before you do the novena. Or a monetary donation. Put the money aside before you do it. That way you're not gonna be on the bad side of a saint. But no, I have not heard that about Cyprian, but I have heard that about other entities. This is a fun one. What is the history of saint veneration? Um, so, the first saints that were revered in the Catholic Church. Okay, let me go back. Um, saint veneration predates Catholicism by hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, Hinduism, you see a lot of veneration of holy people, and they are given the name Shri, which means saint. And this, there is no governing body in Hinduism, so a lot of it is cultural. So just a very um, well-loved teacher in your community, in your region, could be called Shri. Um, you also have this a lot in Buddhism and Hinduism, where their guru or their spiritual teacher will be called a saint, and they will be venerated in the afterlife. You'll see a lot of pe picture of people's gurus on altars with, with flowers, with offerings and things like that. So this predates Catholicism and Christianity by hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, so as far as from Catholicism, the first people to be worshipped and venerated as saints were the martyrs, the early martyrs. They, um, early Catholicism, they would have a time where you ask you ask the martyrs to pray for you. Um, kind of simultaneously, you had um, what was called the Novena, still called that, in Greek and Roman cultures, which was a nine-day candle prayer, same thing we do now, that was done for deceased relatives or deceased like community leaders, community elders, and you would um, burn the candle for nine days leave offerings and then also on the anniversary either of their birthday or their death you would have a feast also known as a feast day um, and this was becoming very very rampant or it was always rampant in the Roman and Greek communities so the church rather than trying to stop it they just adopted it so they said okay well you can do this novena to one of the martyrs um, and things like that so you have always had people being called saints um, since the medieval times, but it wasn't very recently. It wasn't until like the 1700s that there was a formalized canonization process to where saints needed to meet a certain criteria. But you would have the church venerating people as saints um, for hundreds and hundreds of years before that. Next question is, what are some psalms to use when you are feeling depleted energetically. There are probably some psalms about rejoicing. There actually probably are some psalms about feeling depleted. Um, the whole st the whole psalm story is filled with battles, feeling filled with uh, confrontations with the divine, calling out to God when you are feeling certain ways. So there probably is a more accurate psalm than what I'm going to say. But I always use Psalm 23 and Psalm 91 for just about anything. Psalm 91, especially, it's all about God protecting you, wrapping you in his feathers, um, everything being okay because he is enveloping you. 
and you can also interpret that envelopment as healing and nurturing. So I love Psalm 91 and I love Psalm 23, but I'm sure there are other ones you can use. And like I've said in my Psalm Magic episodes, it's not necessarily that this Psalm is a spell, a hidden spell for this certain thing. That is part of it. Certain, certain Psalms have been used that way as spells for hundreds of years in the Hoodoo community. But also Psalms, if there is a spe specific Psalm that mentions something that relates with you and, and speaks to you, feel free to use it as well. But I like using Psalm 91 when I, I need to, to feel, um, feel a little more energetic, especially if you have these Psalms memorized. Um, I think that is a real big part of it because you almost perform it, right? Like, you know, he who dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, he is my rock, he is my fortress in whom I trust. Surely he will deliver thee from the snares of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. Like if you are able to speak from your heart, a lot of Psalms can um, re-energize you. But Psalm 91 is one of my favorites and it's especially one of my favorites if you can um, say it by heart. I recently posted a video of what I call casting a circle in folk magic or Catholic folk magic. And I talk about the Aspergis May um, ritual, which is the traditional holy water sprinkling ritual. And someone asked me, what is meant by mercy in Catholic prayers? Because that um, the holy water sprinkling ritual ends with you asking God to have mercy on you as part of his divine mercy. So this is a good question because it's something I've been thinking about as well. I've been into the Jesus prayer lately, which is, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Like I said, I used to do repetition. I used to do mantra with Ganesh, so I'm always looking for more Catholic-flavored repetition to use when doing novenas and stuff. Not that a Ganesh mantra would be ina inaccurate or inadequate. It's just a vibe thing, right? Like I wouldn't feel right doing an Our Father before working with Shiva. So it doesn't feel right to do a Ganesha mantra before working with Mary. Um, but in Our Lady, um, the uh, Jesus prayer does um, fit that repetition I'm talking about. So it's Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. But me too, I've thought about what does mercy mean? And I think when we use it in casual conversation, it's meant as pity, like have pity on me, stop, help me. Um, but usually when talking to the divine, it's not what it means. Uh, if you read the novena to divine mercy um, or the chaplet, or the chaplet, some of the chaplet prayers as well, you, you'll see divine mercy, which is the divine mercy of Christ being described as enveloping us, nourishing us. Uh, protecting us so it's not having pity on us we're in these prayers we are asking mercy to envelop us protect us nourish us so mercy shouldn't be read as taking pity rather it should be read as help helping healing nourishing um it could be taking pity it's not always a bad thing sometimes yo help me out I'm really struggling here there's nothing wrong with that but Asking for God's mercy isn't necessarily it's because God has been punishing you and you want God to stop punishing you. Um, it could just be you're going through a hard time and you want that help. You want that intercession 
which is a lot of what we work with when talking about saint work too. I also had someone reach out recently through direct message just telling me about their story and asking for general advice and basically very similar story to many of us, myself included. They grew up around the church, but it was kind of force-fed to them and they never felt a connection, which has led them down other paths like paganism, things like that. And I do not have any issue with paganism, neo-paganism. I think it's very beautiful. Um, and I have included pagan deities and, and such into my practice at various stages of my life. But this person was asking how to incorporate saints into their work. And of course, I, I directed them to the saint intro episode in the Folk Magic Essentials episode. But I do just want to bring up again, and I already touched on it briefly earlier, that this practice is ideal for you if you are looking for ways to work with your religious trauma when it comes to Catholicism and Christianity, because what we are doing here is we are reclaiming the power, the magic, and the mysticism that is inherent in Catholicism and Christianity. I mean, for God's sake, we are lighting a candle to a dead person for nine days and asking for something. And that's perfectly fine in Catholicism. So there's a lot more as well. We can talk about certain prayers, certain chants are said to do certain things after so many days. Like this isn't, this isn't heretical, honestly. A lot of this is just teaching, but it's gotten complicated because the church has gotten away from magic. They've gotten away from all of that. They've gotten too materialistic. And I mean that in the realm of being in the material world, not materialism, but same thing. So this podcast is meant to assist you in reclaiming the power of Catholicism, the power that your ancestors may have practiced by forming a personal relationship with saints, with Mary, with Christ, with other spirits and deities that may fall under this umbrella. So I hope that along our journey together you realize that and you can tap into that as well that you can see this work as being something that can assist you in healing any religious wounds you may have it's not going to fully heal it on its own but i'm hoping that encouraging you to explore things in your own lens can help you so that wraps up our listener questions let's see what else shall we talk about uh, usually I like talking about what I've been listening to, what I've been reading, things like that. I am currently reading slash listening to, because it's an audible, um, St. Padre Pio biography, Man of Hope, which has been really good. I've been working with Our Lady of Sorrows. I, I hear a lot from people that they want in a relationship with Mary, but they feel like Mary is not dark enough like some dark goddesses like Kali or Durga. But I disagree because Mary, Our Lady of Sorrows, Our Mother of Sorrows, it's said that her swords can slice open those who mean us harm. It could slice open the chains that bind us. She is also the main player in a lot of exorcism rituals. Exorcists love Our Lady of Sorrows because she is this vengeful mother who watched her son die. So she will 
gladly and fiercely protect us, her other children here on Earth. So I've been working with her a lot, also been working with Joseph a little bit here and there, namely the Sleeping St. Joseph statue, um, which is a very simple working. Um, it's a statue of Joseph sleeping, as you could imagine. And um, if you're familiar with St. Joseph, there were four times where he was able to prophesy, not prophesy, but he got messages in his dreams from angels. So this statue represents him communing with angels, communing with God, communing with Jesus as well. So it's said that you can um, ask him to speak to angels or Jesus in his dreams for you on your behalf. It's a really fun way to work with Joseph. And yeah, that's kind of the long and short of it. I'm going to talk about upcoming episodes in a moment. Um, but a lot of my work right now is just focused on um, episode research. One thing I'm also into lately is novenas that are not about people. So novenas to like the precious blood of Christ, which is interesting because that is something that is used in a lot of spiritual warfare and demon fighting. I know I talk about a lot about deliverance and fighting demons, especially in this episode, but it's just an interesting uh, area for me. Also, um, novenas like the Sacred Heart of Jesus, I think are interesting. Um, that is one that Padre Pio was said to have done every day to assist him in performing miracles. So there you go. Now let's talk about what to expect in January. So this January will have a theme, but not really, like an unofficial theme. And that is going to kind of be the stuff you might think about when planning your resolutions, the stuff you might think about when you are looking to set goals for the new year. So things like finances, things like work, things like self-improvement. So the first episode in January will be on St. Joseph. St. Joseph is the patron saint of all workers. He is also who you can turn to for workers' rights if you are being mistreated. Um, and I know a lot of buzz right now has to do with unions and has to do with workers' rights. So I think it's interesting that we can open up with him. He is someone you can turn to for any family problems, relationship problems, or if you are in fear of losing your job. But he can make sure that you have... Um, a good home life, a good protective home life throughout the year, as well as a healthy work relationship and environment throughout the year. Then we will be doing an episode on financial and prosperity psalms and spells. Uh, it will be very psalm heavy, but I also want to get into some spells too, whether that's just general folk magic spells and workings, but also some saint work too. Um, you can call upon Saint Jude for prosperity. You can call upon St. Expedite, St. Benedict, even John the Baptist, which is interesting considering he was someone who lived in the woods. Um, so we'll get into that. And then from there, we're going to leave the material world and we are going to talk about self-improvement. How can we break bad habits? And we're going to talk about Our Lady of Sorrows there. That's going to be a fun one though, because Our Lady of Sorrows is an incredibly powerful protectress like I said earlier, she is who a lot of exorcists work with when trying to expel demons. She is someone that you can work with when it comes to justice or baneful-ish magic. Um, but also, she can use her swords to break the chains of bad habits. She is um, has the swords 
that can um, pierce your heart so your heart can be more open towards others and things like that. And then after that, I am not sure. I'm not sure what the next episode in January is going to be quite yet. There will be another listener q and I have a few ideas, one of which being kind of just a roundup of saints to work with throughout the year for certain things. So we could talk about working with Benedict, who can help you keep your New Year's resolution. We can talk about probably like St. Matthew, who can help with finance, like being organized in your finances, things like that. Certain health-related saints. If you're traveling a lot, we can talk about Christopher. So that's one idea, but I'm not sure yet. I am open to suggestions for that last episode. So I do want to end this episode with something special. We've all had a crazy, crazy year. We all have demons that are with us that we probably don't want to take into the new year. So I figured I'd end with an exorcism. Initially, I was going to do like a full formal rite of exorcism, but this is already an hour and a half. So I'm just going to do a simple deliverance prayer ritual, which is still going to be a lot of fun. Thank you for tuning into this. This was a lot longer than what I expected it to be. And due to Adobe Audition crashing on me, this is the third time I've recorded it. So that's six hours of recording for one episode. Nonetheless, we've done it. So let's do this with an exorcism. So please uh, sit back, relax, and prepare to have all of your yearly demons be exercised. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. I ask Jesus to seal me in his most precious blood against any and all incursions of the evil one, in particular, against any clinging familial, familiar, or retaliating spirits. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Spirit of agitation, spirit of anger, spirit of anxiety, spirit of sorrow, spirit of despair, spirit of fear, spirit of illness, spirit of obsession. By the power of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Cross, by the power of the most precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary, Saint Michael the Archangel, the Blessed Apostles Peter and Paul, and all of the saints, may they command you to leave this listener and go to the foot of the cross to receive your sentence in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. With the sword of Saint Michael, the sword of Our Lady, and the sword of Our Lord's Cross, may they sever and break any and all ties, bonds, and attachments that the listener has in their heart. With the sword of Saint Michael, who is like unto God, who is like unto God, who is like unto God. Behold the handmaiden of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy word. Be it done unto me according to thy word. Be it done unto me according to thy word. My soul magnifies the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. Do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. Be gone, Satan. Be gone, Satan. Be gone, Satan. Come out of this man. 
Come out of this man, come out of this man. May the Holy Cross be my light, the dragon will never be my guide. May the Holy Cross be my light, may the dragon never be my guide. May the Holy Cross be my light, the dragon will never be my guide. Amen. Anima Christi sanctifica me, corpus Christi salva me, sanguis Christi inibria me, aqua lateris Christi lava me, passio Christi conforta me, o bene esu exude me, intra tui vulnera absconde me, ne permitamas mi separare a te, abhoste maligno defende me, in ora mortis me voca me. Thank you for listening to another episode of St. Anthony's Tongue. I have been your host, W, and thank you so much for all of your great questions, and also thank you so much for listening to this whole thing, because I know it was a bit long. Uh, Thank you so much, and stay tuned for our next episode on St. Joseph. I appreciate all of you. God bless all of you. And remember, may the dragon never be your guide, and may God bless us all. Thank you.